Hello and welcome to the Mason Jar Q&A here on the Mason Jar on the Circe Institute Podcast Network. Coming up in just a minute, we will have this month's Q&A episode where Cindy answers questions that you sent in over on the Mere Motherhood Facebook group. But first, I need to say a quick word from our friends over at Morning Tide to Eventide who are sponsoring the Mason Jar this summer. They want to show you their products over at their website, morningtidetoeventide.com. Jennifer and Delaney, the owners of Morning Tide to Eventide, make beautiful magnetic schedule boards and Christian year paper planners. Delaney and Jennifer know just about as well as anyone how difficult it can be to balance work, home, church, and homeschool. And because of their busy lives as print shop owners, they've invented tools to help keep order and peace in the home through their magnetic, tactile schedule boards and planners. The struggle is real. We could all use a little help getting and staying organized. And with a beautiful planner and schedule board, it's a pleasure to plan, schedule, and do the next thing using Morning Tide to Eventide products. The planners even feature original watercolor artwork by Jennifer. So uh, if you head over to the Facebook, their Facebook community, you can learn from others about keeping time with the Christian year and getting and staying organized. Morning Tide is also hosting a 60 Days of Devotions challenge. It's not too late to join in. So head over to their group and find out how. Just search in Facebook groups and then type in Morning Tide to Eventide. And that's morning, like, you know, before lunch. Uh, morning Tide to Eventide, not Evening Tide, Eventide. Morning Tide has a special coupon just for the Mason Jar listeners. Uh, so if you head over to morningtidetoeventide.com slash themasonjar and subscribe, Jennifer will send you an exclusive coupon just for listening today and subscribing. So that's go to morningtidetoeventide.com slash themasonjar to sign up and get that free coupon. So thanks so much to Jennifer and Delaney Bascom uh, for sponsoring and for partnering with us. It's been great to see their product taking off and to see it helping people out. And it's pretty cool stuff. So um, Cindy and I both were, were intrigued by it and, and really like what they're doing. So head over there and check out if they're a good fit for you. And again, one more time, that is morningtidetoeventide.com slash the mason jar. Not just mason jar, the mason jar. All right, with that, let's head over to the Q&A episode for this month. And if you want to submit a question for a future episode, uh, you can head over to the Mere Motherhood Facebook group and post a question on the pinned comment that we put there at the top of the page. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions for this episode, and I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to The Mason Jar on the Circe Institute Podcast Network. I am David Kern, and as always in The Mason Jar, I am joined by Cindy Rollins, who is really the star of The Mason Jar. Cindy, how's it going? Uh, it's going very well. We have a nice uh, rainy day. We've had a very rainy uh, season this this summer, but today is a pretty, really, really pretty rainy day. Yeah, you know, some rainy days in the summertime are just dreadful because it's humid and it just makes everything sticky and gross, at least in the south. But then you get those days when it's crisp, a little breezy, it's not humid, cuts the heat down a little bit, and it's just a perfect day to sit on your deck and read or something. <laughs> yeah, my or son just moved to Knoxville from Florida, oh, and yeah. I had I had to tell him, no, this is not... They're thinking, oh my goodness, it's so much more pleasant here. The, this is not a typical <laughs> summer and. um in this area we usually are miserable and hot and it's just it's really almost been cool the whole summer yeah yeah we've had a much more mild summer here than than usual for sure you, you know the humidity hasn't been as bad as 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 usual well we are here to answer questions this is the q a episode 
a midsummer Q&A episode of the Mason Jar. Um, I've got, I posted on the, the Mere Motherhood Facebook group yesterday. I posted to, to see if anybody had any questions. And then we had like 35 of them come in in like two hours. So um, if people have not joined the Mere Motherhood Facebook group and you're on Facebook, you can head over there and search, just search Mere Motherhood. And it's a great place to submit questions. So every time we do a Q&A, we'll post... Um, you know, I'll, I'll post a little request for questions and pin it to the top of that page. So if you have a question that's just, you know, burning a hole in your brain, so to speak, then you can go put that there and we'll bring those to Cindy in a future episode. But I've got, you know, four or five questions today. Some will take longer. Some will take, you know, only a second to answer, I would think. But um, you, you ready to dive right in? Sure. Let's see. I don't even know what the questions are. So we'll, well I mean, I, except for what I've read on the page, I tried to get a, yeah, a heads up there. <laughs> I didn't tell you which ones I was choosing, but we'll have to, this will just be a test of your expertise and your wisdom, right? All your experience. You have to yeah. Just, just or, or, yeah. Or my, um, BSing. I, I might, <laughs> I might, I might manage that. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Here's a, here's probably a somewhat simple question for you to start off. Uh, Rachel asks, how do you introduce morning time to preschoolers? Oh, yeah, I like that question. I'm glad you asked it because um, the way you do that is you start, I think, um, you just kind of have them in morning time when they're babies. Hmm. And then they kind of, um, now I'm not, this is not idyllic, but Mm -hmm. they do fall into the rhythm of it that way. Hmm. So, I mean, it's really hard to pull a preschooler in, but, um, you know, they don't, I always made my preschoolers sit for a very for part of morning time, very mm. short part, maybe ten or fifteen like minutes. Like s- sit still, hands yeah. in their lap type thing. Yeah, like okay. just put them real close, hold yeah. on to them, put them on your lap. Yeah, yeah. And um, while you're reading the Bible, mm-hmm. while you're doing maybe some Bible memory, while you're praying, obviously, mm-hmm. um, they need to be sitting quietly, mm-hmm. and that's great preparation for church. To me, that's the best preparation mm-hmm. for for church. Mm-hmm. Um, then, as you start singing and stuff, maybe they can get up. I mean, anything they can do during singing, marching, you know, clapping, all any of that should be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, um, they, you know, what, okay, now they're, that's the limit of what they can handle. They -hmm. can either play quietly on the floor. They can eat. I always like the, the eating suggestion, Mm. you know, throw, throw food at them, give them a banana in the high chair, give them some Cheerios and let them Who doesn't like a good food bribe? That's right. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, food reward. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Fine line. Yeah, so so that's that's what I would do, and then um, if there's safe places they can wander, that's okay. But obviously, you don't want your your preschooler wandering away um, where you even like you know. I always talk about the time I found my preschooler in the back room. We were having morning time, and he was really quiet in the back bedroom, and he had the iron had been left out, and he had got a hold of it and plugged it in. Oh man! And had burned a hole in the carpet, which was the least of our yeah, worries at that no point. Kidding. It was just like, okay, that that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But wow. he didn't get burnt and and the house didn't burn down, so um, yeah. it was like, okay, but it could have been worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do so um, you've talked in the past, you may have just mentioned it a second ago, but you've talked in the past and maybe even in, in the morning time uh, handbook about letting younger kids do puzzles or play with Legos or whatever while you're reading. Did you just mention that a second ago? Yeah. I mean, I would let them play. I definitely let the preschoolers play mm-hmm. during morning time and they get those blocks. I like, we really like those, um, 
they're all the same shape blocks. Oh yeah. I mean, any block, any, any toy like that, that, I mean, they make a little bit of noise when they fall over, but they're not excessively noisy. Right. Right. And, um, it's not and like trucks that like honk like, or no something. Battery operated yeah. toys obviously are going to, that's not going to work. Uh, we used to laugh because, uh, grandma, my mom used to give the kids battery operated toys mm-hmm. and I was like, no parent really gives their child a toy <laughs> that requires batteries. <laughs> And the, our biggest thing was, yay, the batteries ran out. <laughs> yeah, you can still push the car. Yeah, exactly. Just push it along the floor. Um, so, yeah, so that, I mean, I think when you start when they're babies, it really helps their natural rhythm to get involved in it. Would you say the same thing is true even if, like, what if your your preschooler is is your oldest? Where there's not already yeah. that habit in the home Right. Then, then you want to make sure it's not too long. If that's all the child you have in the, in the morning time, Mm -hmm. um, or you, you may just want to have a little short start life out with morning time. Mm -hmm. And then some of the other things we might do in morning time, you might do later so that the child has a break. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like have a series of times. Um, but, but really, um, yeah, I mean, when you have just one child and you're, you're paying attention to them and they're toddlers, they love to do everything you're doing because it's all geared towards them. Hmm, true. Yeah. Yeah. Or even if like my boys are so close in age, it's like having one child with two different personalities. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. so you just kind of, you can, maybe you don't give them each individual attention, but they do the same things all the time. You know, they're pretty much right next to each other, no matter what they're doing. You some, know, of course, sometimes that means they're fighting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, as much as my guys fought, fought and they did fight a lot. Um, there, I remember looking up one day in morning time, and I've probably mentioned this before, but they were like ten and eleven, or some high ages, hmm. and they were sitting on the couch holding hands. My hmm. my oldest, some some group, I won't say who they were, <laughs> but. Um, and it it was probably the last moment that that really happened, mm-hmm. but. It really, really made me happy. Um, I mean, first of all, because they did fight a lot, and but that they sure. were used to sitting on the couch at morning time together, hmm. and 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 it was just really precious to me. <laughs> yeah, and then of course later on, the affection comes in just being competitive with each other. Yeah, then like somebody you, you, you show your brother you love him by beating him or playing as hard as you can or something, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Or hitting him or knocking his shoulder when you walk by accidentally. You, yeah, oh, you of course. Didn't mean to do that. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. It, everything changes. Um, okay, so here is I've got a couple questions related to narration um, as kids are getting older. Really, narration question? Yeah, no kidding. Huh? So um, this Renee asks if you're using a writing program. So she mentions Cottage Press and. Um, Caps uh, classical ac- academic presses writing and rhetoric, and then maybe in the future using lost tools. And she says, so if you're using that, then is written narration something that they would do across their subjects apart from a writing program, or should they let the writing program cover it? And then a- Amy asks a similar question. She just says, how does written narration develop in the middle and upper grades? And at some point, do they need to use a formal writing program? So I think it's a good question. It is another narration question, but. Um, I think it's specific enough to, to cover it again. So I guess the basic is if using a writing program, a formal writing program, how does that tie into the practice of written narration as the students are into those older years? Okay. So here, here I have an answer for that. And, and 
I, I, first, let me say that if you're if you're using something like Cottage Press, where they actually say write a narration, then that could be the narration for the day. Right. But if they're saying do study dictation or doing copy work, then that is not a narration for the day. Right. Um, Just as like we, writing, working on law tools of writing and going through the invention array, that's not a narration. Exactly. It's a different exactly. skill. If they were doing lost tools of writing, and this is, and I did do lost tools of writing with my kids, um, what I would do is if it was a day where they had the main part of the essay to write, mm-hmm. um, then then I wouldn't require a narration out of them. Okay. But most days I did, even when we were doing lost tools. So if there was an extensive amount of like we're at the part where they have to write the whole thing over, you know, they're going to write a lot that day, then they didn't have to do a narration. But um, and, and I we had a Charlotte Mason moms group the other night mm-hmm. and I, I just can't say this enough. And I'm, I'm really the only one saying this because most people Charlotte Mason did not say this. And um and none of the Charlotte Mason groups are saying this. This is me saying this, but I'm going to stand by it and I'm going to be firm about it. Mm-hmm. I really believe if you want to be successful with narr- written narration, um, you want to have them do one written narration every single day from the time that they can write a couple sentences mm. um, and just have that part of don't even consider you don't for the most part, unless they're writing extensively. I would not consider that part of any writing program. I would just consider that, you know, um, just part of the routine of life. We always mm-hmm. do a written narration. We always do a written narration. Um, that's going to save you a lot of trouble, and it, it's going to give them a, a lot of different kind of writing over the years. And then hmm. you add a formal writing program in during some of those years. Uh, just don't take out the written narration because really – that's not completely all about writing. It's also about thinking, and it's also helping them remember what they're reading. So um, so I'm not going to back up on that, even though people have come out and said, well, Charlotte Mason did not say <laughs> you sh- she only had you writing narrations here or there. Mm-hmm. That's all true. Um, all I'm saying is um, it, this works better. <laughs> it works better to do it every day. It works better in the long run, and it works better – uh, for mom not having to to say we're going to do a narration today and everybody go oh and now we have everybody's heels are dug in the sand and your job is to pull um, just get rid of all that by saying to every single day we're going to do a written narration mm-hmm. and you won't regret that I mean yeah. sure there's going to be park days and days when you're not at home there are going to be plenty of those days if you're at home in a normal school day you need to have a written narration yeah did uh, okay so was it, did the length of the narrations vary that you would demand yes, of your kids yes. based on the writing they were doing in other places or uh, like well, in, in no, other programs I mean, or whatever if you're in high school you're going to do a full college ruled page for your narration okay. um at, at almost at least two thirds but maybe the full page and a lot of high school kids will at that point writing isn't difficult for them if they've been doing this and they'll write mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. but um but uh, of course um you know, if they've had a long day that they might of writing, they might skimp out on their written narration. It might be shorter than normal. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't agonize over the length of right, it unless right. it was just completely terrible. And you could tell they were, you know, phoning it in. So so then that I guess that leads to this question. How do you assess a narration of an older child? Well, number one, did they do it? That's the first assessment. Um Number two, um, you're going to read it, and you're going to you're going to see if um, 
they it 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 is not um it is not like a book report but it's more like a narr- narrative of piece of work so you want to make sure it's narrative in nature okay um, and um, and and then and then um you know you're going to have to look over some now like i said it, a child turns in a narration it looks terrible um you're not going to want to discourage the child by saying it looks terrible mm-hmm. um you're just really going to want to work on those things with the child um, you, you may have to say to the child, if he can do better and he won't do better, and that happens a lot, don't underestimate how much that will happen, then you need to say to the child, I'm sorry, you need to rewrite this. Um, you definitely don't want to, you don't want to discourage them if they're, they, they have la- they're lacking in skills that they need. Do you, and when you, you do, go ahead, yeah. When you, when you say, that it looks terrible. Do you mean actually look terrible? Like they were sloppy and they just didn't pay attention to spelling and things like that. Or do you, or do you mean more like the quality of the things that they're writing down? More, more like the, 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 uh, their actual handwriting okay. and yeah. their, you know, they're sit, like, they're just real quick writing everything they can down and like they're it, not, they're not y- stopping to add punctuation. You want them they're to look like they care and they're not actually tuned into it. If you know they have better skills than that, or if you want them to realize, maybe they don't realize they have better skills than that because mm-hmm. you've let them get away with not having those skills, mm-hmm. or you've let them, you know, get by with that. Um, you don't have to critique their narration per se, but you do as as, as far as oh, you know, um, I don't like this, blah blah blah. But you can't say I'm sorry. You know, this isn't up to. Uh, the standard we need, you need to rewrite this. That's very hard to do, but you only have to do that a couple times consistently. And mm. I'm so sorry about that word consistently, because that is really <laughs> the key to most of everything we're doing. Yeah. But if we can do it consistently, make them rewrite something that you know, they can write better. Um, then they'll stop. They'll, 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 they'll raise this, their own standards up to that level. They're going to, their, their standards are going to be as low as you let them be. Hmm. Well, but think... then if their skills are low now, and there are some kids that have poor, poor writing skills, um, number one, you may want to make their narration shorter. That, that child, like say, let's say there's a child with a learning disability of some sort. Um, he can write a shorter narration better. That that's what I would do with, I would, I would cut back, uh, but just make sure that it was as neat as he could make it. And as, um, and as much as possible, you know, following the patterns of English. Hmm. I was going to ask a question. I completely forgot what it was. I was going to ask a follow up, and then you, you, I, I was listening to what you were saying and lost my track. Um, well, you mentioned the idea of consistency and how that's, you said you apologized for using that word, using that word. And it seems like, you know, if you think about any of the habits that we're trying to develop, even as adults, the hardest thing is like, it's easy to do a new habit the first five times. Right. But then it's hard to do that consistently over over a long period of time. And I guess if we can help them do that, develop the habits of consistency and learn to be consistent on things that are not always the most fun when they're younger, then it's going to be, you know, at least a little easier for them when they're older, at least in theory, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to think of it like that. And he, that that's why these rhythms of life that we talk about are so important. And, and they mm. help mom and they help everybody have consistency. If things are orderly and rhythmic in your life, then um, it, it does take away, you know, quite a few problems um, that, that you have when you're when everything is, you know, each morning is a completely new thing. Yeah. And everybody can go their own way, and and mom's mom has to run around trying to pull everybody back in, hmm. and, and it works the same with narration. Uh, you know, in anything you want them to develop over time, you have to be consistent with. Hmm. Okay, well that's that's there's narration. We've covered okay. that again. Okay, <laughs> we so, covered our our weekly narration, <laughs> our monthly narration question. Yeah. Um, Okay, here's a question that you had to you have some experience with. Um, Abby asks about teaching reading to boys. Do you have any programs that you recommend? Any tips or tricks? And she just mentions that her boys would rather just have her read to them. I imagine that's pretty common, especially de- depending on the age and the age of the boys, I suppose. But um, what do you think about that? You had you taught what eight, yeah, eight, did eight she boys to read? Ages of her children are or not? She did not mention that. I don't think. Um, but she said they would rather have her read to them. So I'm guessing in that five, six, seven, yeah. seven range. In my experience, anyway. Well, well, definitely they would rather have you read because their understanding is is higher than their ability to read, and that's the frustrating thing. Right. When, when you're learning to read, um, they're now, having a I'm, decoding problem at this point. Yes, exactly. Cause they can so understand you it have short phonics lessons every day of some sort. And, and, and if you keep it short and just keep doing it over time. Now, if you get to a, and I, I hate to recommend a pro, any programs because, uh, things change so quickly in that area and there might be something new. I don't know about, I'm sure there, I'm sure there's something new. I don't know about, um, I liked my phonics, programs along with my math programs to be very very uh, simple I didn't want them to confuse phonics with say geography or something else I just wanted it phonics to be phonics and Mm so I tended towards using things like the victory drill book alpha phonics Mm -hmm. Um, I use the writing road to reading um, Mm -hmm. extensively uh, with my kids but I used um, a guide with it Um, I think it was Wanda Sanseri's guide uh, and I, I really loved that guide. I loved it. And that was a way you could just um, teach it very slowly. I, lo- I love the teacher child to read in 100 easy lessons. I mean, it got kind of silly, but it was mm-hmm. a gr- the very, I say the first 20, 30 um, chapters of that book are fantastic for getting a child up to speed. And of course, the boys love the silly stories. Yeah. So did you have any experience? Bob, Bob books. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I pretty much was just saying Bob books. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, did you have any experience with the McGuffey readers? Because I know, I mean, those are old, but I know some people still swear by them. Yeah, I had them. And, you know, I never did have a lot of success figuring out how to use them on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. The, uh, what I did use the McGuffeys for were after the, um, when the kids, there were times when um, after they were reading, I would have them read aloud each day a little bit to me, and I would use the McGuffey readers for their, them to read to me aloud after maybe they were 9 or 10, and they were already reading, but I was getting them um, to read aloud because they have a lot of mis. The more you read silently, the more 
you mispronounce words. Mm, So it helps them to read aloud. Um, Then you can find out. You know, I always laugh because my son said, I don't, he was reading a Civil War book and he came in and he said, I don't like this Onion Army. And I've mentioned that before. (laughs) I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I realized, of course, the Onion Army. Um, (laughs) So. Oh, I like that. That's good. Yeah. And I guess that tells you a little bit about our, um, our, where, our Southern heritage, but, um, (laughs) and and, I, I'm, I'm glad we are a union uh, (laughs) and uh, Certainly not for slavery. <laughs> you're, yeah, got, you're hedging on that on that comment. Yeah, you, you, but, you uh, weren't you weren't teaching your uh, you weren't teaching your kids to be complete Confederate sympathizers. No, no, no. no. Well, I mean, they went through different stages, uh, different um, times, uh, different uh, things where they liked. You know, they just picked people they liked. Yeah, you know, they might yeah. like Stonewall Jackson, or that's more where that came from. But well, it's probably good for them to start thinking about them, those kind of things on their own. But that's probably a different question for a different yeah yeah we won't get into that let's (laughs) just back away from that um okay well uh one more question here did you have did you want to add something else so uh, the thing about it is if you reach a dead end with phonics it's better to stop uh just stop take a break Mm -hmm. uh, and come back to it in two three months try again okay yeah um and, and just keep doing that until the child actually, um, for some children, they're going to learn to read. You're not even going to know how they learn to read. Yeah. Uh, for other yeah. children, uh, it, it, they might be 10 or 11 before they're reading well on their own. Usually with a child like that is in a very literature rich environment and you're still reading to them. Um, when they hit that age 11 and they do start finally reading, their reading skills are going to be very advanced more than more. So a lot of times those kids are going to be the kids that like nonfiction Hmm. and they're going to read a lot. And and those are going to be kids that maybe get lost in some book. And, and, and the other thing about reading is the imagination. Um, You know, a lot of kids don't want to read on their own because because it is their imagination is building these these worlds, and they can't do that when they're decoding. So so just keep the the phonics lessons short and consistent, and and then back away when you reach a dead end, and then um, and then by all means keep reading to the kids. And uh, you know, kids are you mentioned everybody's going to all kids are going to learn learn to read at different paces so if you have one kid that learned faster and then the next one doesn't it doesn't mean there's anything you know that they're not that smart or that you're doing it wrong it they just might not have the same interest level and it might just they might just see things differently or you know any number Absolutely. of reasons i think so, some kids that are actually geniuses um are are the kids that struggle with decoding at certain ages and it, it really probably has something to do with the way their imagination and their mind is working hmm. um uh, it's not that they're behind it's that they're ahead and they hmm. and to go back is difficult for them and i don't i it always sounds like you're just patting people on the head making an excuse but i really really believe that um hmm. that these these kids in our culture that are many times labeled are, are really are, are extremely intelligent, smart kids. Hmm. Okay. So one more question. And then one, I guess one little quick question after that, Cheryl asks, what are some of the biggest mistakes to make when planning for a new school year? So, and you can just answer that quickly. If you have anything from your experience that you wish you had done differently. 
Well, obviously, we always bite off more than we can chew. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's the biggest thing that happens when you're planning a new school year. You have a lot of hope and a lot of um, a lot of voices and you want to do everything. And I'll just say right off the bat, you can't do everything. You have to pick what you want to do. And you have it's better to be consistent. Here we go again. (laughs) than then to um, have too many great ideas that you can't incorporate because you're trying to do too much. Um, so be careful uh, about mixing your metaphors, so to speak, about mm-hmm. trying to throw too much, too many um, items in the pot. Um, it would be better to um, be simple in your plans uh, and um, then, then to have too much going that that's nothing that's going to frustrate you in the end and cause, um, and I, I always, and, 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 you know, start off strong, get, get a good, um, get as many good days under your belt as you can, um, before, um, you know, the end of October when how after, you know, reformation day or Halloween, um, it, it's just party, party, party from then on out and <laughs> we lose a lot of track. So yeah, through the holidays. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so do make, make, um, you know, the end of August, September and October, really, really strong school days. Yeah. And before the malaise hits. Yeah. <laughs> okay. One final question I wanted to, to bring up here. We had a lot of questions about this. Well, you know, relatively speaking about the Charlotte Mason and classical education relationship. Um, you know, obviously here at Cersei, we're big supporters of classical education. We provide resources and research constantly in that. And in doing that, we've come to the conclusion that they're very compatible, the two Charlotte Mason and classical education, especially if you're thinking about each of them in the right ways. Um, but I'm wondering if, if you have anything to add to that conversation and also if you have any resources that you would recommend if people want to kind of dive into that world and understanding that the relationship between the two a little bit more. And I, you don't need to give like a long essay or a speech here. You've talked about this a, a lot in yeah, various yeah. contexts in different talks that you've given at conferences and stuff. But just if you can give people a little bit of a direction and where to kind of think about this, because there were enough questions that I thought, you know, we'll have to do a whole episode about that sometime um, and yeah, bring on yeah. guests. And somebody mentioned having your dad come on and talk about it. And I, I'd love that. I think that'd be great. He, he would have a lot to say. Yeah, we uh, could definitely do that. Yeah. Um, number one, um, I would, there, there's, I think there's four books I think I could suggest. Number one is consider this by, uh, Karen Glass, Mm -hmm. which goes hand in hand with norms and nobility by David Hicks. And if you can get, um, those two books, uh, you'll, you'll be great. Then, uh, Charlotte's own book towards a philosophy of education, uh, read that and make your up your own mind. And then um, I, being the broken record that I am, I would highly recommend Stratford Caldecott's Beauty in the Word, which um, mm-hmm. also is like reading Charlotte Mason. Now, now Stratford Caldecott is a strong Catholic, and the book is very Catholic. I am not a Catholic. Um, every He said so many beautiful things, though, um, that— uh, Please don't be put off by the Catholicism if you're not a Catholic. Please give that book a chance um, past um, past the Catholicism. Um, it's not offensive in any way, but for some people, it it may be. Yeah, off. it's just it's just steeped in it. He's just steeped yeah, in his yeah, tradition. I mean, that's yeah. where he's coming from. And yet, if you are you know a Christian, I think you're going to get enough out of that book. That I, I know you're going to get enough out of that book. So those four books ground. 
are, are both just totally intertwined between Charlotte Mason and classical education. Recently, someone said, well, because classical education was for the elite and Charlotte Mason is not for the elite, therefore, Charlotte Mason cannot be classical. Well, that's like saying because education was for the elite and Charlotte mm. Mason is not for the elite, then Charlotte Mason is not education. All education um, uh, philosoph educational philosophy um, from ancient times forward really, really was grounded in that elitism because that was, and we talk about scholae and leisure, mm -hmm. it was only the leisured classes that were able to be educated. So the elitism came Especially in. Especially in any formal way. Yes, formally. Obviously, people were having skills. They were, you know, that they were potters. They were learning pottery. If they were, right, right. you know, um, um, working with embroidery or whatever, they were getting that kind of a, a, a technical education. But all education, the only people being educated, uh, yes, Charlotte Mason came along and said, what if? We, we, and this was actually a part of that whole Victorian era where we were saying, what if, every, a lot of people were saying this, what if education wasn't just for uh, the rich or the, the people that were going to be our leaders, the elite? Mm -hmm. What if it was for everybody? Mm -hmm. Now, I talked extensively about this a couple times. Uh, that My talk I did in Orlando uh, was uh, educating the freeborn. I have a lot of information in there about this whole subject, about what, what does it mean? David Hicks, in his book, Norms and Nobility, has a chapter called Ennobling the Masses, and that very much speaks to this idea that, um, yeah, of course this was for the elite, um, but but now the doors are open and everybody, especially in a country like the United States where we're based on freedom, everybody has available what was once only available to the elite. Mm -hmm. And that's what Charlotte Mason was saying. Hey, let's give this education, this rich education to everyone. And to say that she's not elite, uh, she's not classical because she's not elite is just is to almost be saying, well, she's not about education at all. And yeah, well, there's a, also I think you can make a distinction between like who was educated and what education is or who education is actually for. So like just because the elites, if you want to put it that way, were the ones who were getting educated doesn't mean that it's not designed or intended for everybody. I mean, that's one of the big things that we talk about at, at Cersei, that classical education is not just for the elite that it's for everybody and that that's why it works because it's it, it's it's got a universal application that can that can someone a, anybody can be truly educated classically right and and yeah it started out as these these were the people that we call them elite because yeah. they were the people being educated but now we're all able to partake of that very same fountain and 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 why wouldn't we want to partake of that of what those the people who were educated found that they could do with their their families and their children and their their students. Um, you know, we want to do those same things for all of our students, and, and that just means, just like Charlotte said, that children are born persons. And, and in classical education, we say, how do you educate the a human? Um, what what is the what are the truly human things that we need to be um, not not to go out and get a job or or to have um, make money but what do we need to be better people well 
you know, that's a, this is a topic, like I said, that we could have an episode or two on by itself and probably have a, a bevy of guests, so just a row, just a whole sure. row of guests on the topic. And we'll have to do that at some point. Um, cause we do, we had, there are plenty of questions about it, but hopefully, you know, those resources and then, you know, some short comments there will, will help, you know, help. And, and I'm unapologetic and I'm sure Cersei is unapologetic about, um, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at Charlotte Mason for our, at coming from a classical perspective, we're finding answers in Charlotte Mason's stuff. And, and if you read, uh, uh, Brandy, um, at afterthoughts, she has just released a book of Charlotte Mason's called in memoriam, and it was a, I forget how it was written, but if you, it, that's another book that's going to really bring these two together. This was written, I think, uh, for Charlotte Mason. But if you want to get a hold of that book also, you'll see these are the words of Charlotte Mason and the words of people who followed her. And they're very much in the classical tradition. Mm. What's that? What did you say it's called? It's in memoriam. Okay. So I in and then memoriam. So just head over to Afterthoughts. To, yes, to head over okay. there. I mean, she's just now releasing it, so I don't have a lot of information about it. But okay. I just remembered that is where I was. I was talking. I think it's afterthoughtsblog.com. Is that right? Uh, I'm doing that off the top of my head, so I don't. We'll, we'll have to afterthoughts.net. Afterthoughts.net. Afterthoughtsblog.net. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, thanks again, Cindy, for your for answering some questions, and thanks to everyone who sent questions in. Um, do you have any final thoughts you want to add? No, I, I think we covered it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks again, of course, to everyone who's been listening. If you don't mind and you have the time, we certainly would appreciate a review, either a comment review or a starred review in whatever application you use to to get podcasts. Um, there's been a lot of content on the Cersei Podcast Network recently. If you're just listening to The Mason Jar, you may be interested in some of the other things that we've done. I just did an interview with the guys behind Bibliotheca, which is a new, uh, beautifully designed uh version of the Bible in, in different volumes with gorgeous cloth bound cloth binding. And, um, there's no notes or verses or anything. It makes it feel like you're reading poetry. Um, so, you know, mm-hmm. I interviewed those guys. That was a really interesting interview. We, of course, we've been reading through Brideshead Revisit, revisited over on close reads. And then we've got a few ideas up our sleeves that we're going to be recording at the conference in a couple of weeks. So, um, including a live recording of close read. So last year we did a live recording of the Mason jar. This year we'll do a live recording of close reads and maybe next year we'll just have to do a live recording of everything all at one time or something. But, um, there's been lots of great, yeah, lots of great content, um, on the network. So if you're interested in that, you can head over to the feed for the, um, just the whole Cersei podcast network and, and, um, check that out. Um, and thanks of course to our sponsors who, you know, morning tide to even tide who've been sponsoring the Mason jar this summer. We're thankful to be working with them and we hope that you will check them out check out all of their resources um and i guess that's it so for cindy rollins and for all of us here at the cersei institute i'm david kern saying farewell on the cersei institute podcast network thanks so much for listening to the messenger <laughs>